Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 307 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm excited to intro today a conversation that I just had with fellow podcast host and former elite athlete Tina Muir. Tina is now a friend of mine. She's the host of the podcast Running for Real, as well as Running Realized. She also has a book coming out later this year called Becoming a Sustainable Runner, so stay tuned for that info coming out. I'm actually going to have her on to talk about that when it's released as well. Today, though, we're going to be talking about a resource that she just released, a series of YouTube videos discussing Red S, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport, which is something that can happen to anyone when you're underfueled. Your body can begin to shut down some of its key functions, which can cause health-related issues as well as potentially performance-related issues. We're going to be talking about what are the symptoms of Red S, how do you get diagnosed, what are the myths associated with this topic, and of course, how do you actually go about recovering from it. Now, I think this is a key interview and topic for anybody that might be participating in the sport of running. You might be facing these symptoms now. You might know someone who might be facing these symptoms and need to know how to support them or what resources to provide them. Or there may be a time someday when you are facing this challenge personally. So please, I encourage everyone to take a listen to this episode. So without further intro, we're going to jump right into my conversation with Tina. Here we go. Welcome, Tina Muir, to the show. Tina, so good to have you on again. I know, I'm excited. Do you know, it's funny, the last time I was on the show, I I think that was the first time we ever spoke. And you, at that time, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but you would, (laughs) sounds bad, you were like just another podcaster at the time. And now (laughs) you're a friend and I know you and I care about you. And so it feels weird now doing (laughs) this, knowing that last time you were like a face in a crowd. Right. Now I know and love you, so I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, that was way back, episode 82, and and so a long time ago, July 2018. Mm. And yeah, I mean, the the fraternity and sorority of running podcasters is fairly small, but I would say I don't know that actually that many, really, closely, and you're one of them. We've gotten Mm. to meet several times in Austin when you've been here. I think we've hung out in Boston as well, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, it's it's good to actually have our yeah. our friendship extend beyond just knowing each other through through the airwaves. Although you just pointed something out, which is that I always come to you, so you need to come to <laughs> I me. I do need through. to come to St. Louis. <laughs> yes, and we t- we've talked about that because my yeah. brother lives in St. Louis. So I don't yeah. really have any good excuses not to come see you hang out with my brother and all of that but yes it has been good to get to know you one of the things i appreciate about you is your authenticity not just as a friend but also as a content creator so thanks for that i appreciate that i mean i don't think many other people would begin an episode with you were just a face in the crowd (laughs) (laughs) keeping it real as your your podcast implies running for real so yes yes well i'm glad i'm more than a face in the crowd (laughs) (laughs) i was just in a in a media swell then okay that's my reason i get it no offense taken all right so we're here today to talk about an important topic one that i think is is just really starting to get the airtime that it deserves in conversation mm. like these. We're going to be talking about Red S, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. You put together a great YouTube video resource with, I don't know how many videos there are, but a lot of three mm-hmm. to five minute videos answering questions about this topic. Really good resource. And I wanted to open with that because I don't I don't want to get lost in the mm. aftermath of the conversation. Say, hey, where can I learn more? I want people to know that we're talking about this because of this resource you've created and because it's so important to get the message out about this topic. And we'll get to obviously all of what it is. But I do want to just first start by asking, why did you create this resource? Do you know, it's interesting. Um, I have... Even since I've created it, I thought I was creating it for one reason, but now reflecting on it, um, I think I created it for 
more than one reason and a few reasons that I didn't even consider. And uh, you and I were talking before about how much people put in into a book when they write a memoir, how much of themselves they put into something. And I think in some ways this ended up being a bit of that for me because uh, the reason I was uh, driven to make this in the first place was, um, you know, I mentioned um, just now about kind of being in a media swirl. And uh, one of the things I was, or probably still am, known for in the running space is essentially the girl who got her period back Um, (laughs) because I went nine years as a professional athlete um, well collegiate athlete and professional athlete without having a period Um, and I was the first uh, elite athlete of any kind to really speak out about that and so I spoke out about it it went wild in the media and that was one thing but I think because at the time uh, when I recovered I stopped running entirely just quit randomly one day which I think we would have talked about last time um but then I got pregnant almost immediately so my life shifted suddenly I was preparing to be a mother and I don't think I ever truly processed what I went through in those nine years and so this resource is basically what I wish I had for those nine years for during that time, I felt broken. I felt alone. I felt like my body was just the only one that was like out to get me. I like hated my body for that. Um, I was so, I mean, um, I've learned the difference between envious and jealous and most people get them the wrong way around, but I was deeply jealous of people who had their elite athletes who had their period of functioned um, correctly because I was like, what is wrong with mine? And so I made this resource because I felt that way for nine years. And um, I just wish I had something or someone to talk to about it. And that's what I wanted to make for other people who are potentially feeling that way. But yeah, as I mentioned, it ended up being a bit of a healing process of me realizing just how traumatic that process was and only really healing myself and giving myself the grace while going through and making it. So I think it should be part of a healing and recovery journey for you know anyone really who has potentially a disordered relationship with food. And you said that there were other things that bubbled up, other reasons that bubbled up. Mm-hmm. Was that your original core reason was to do it as a part of your healing journey or is that what you no. realize as a part of it? That's what I realized as a part of it. My original reason was I wanted to create something for to what I wish I had. Um, but yeah, I think in my head, I that was in my past, you know. I'm way past that. I that was, you know, when I was young and immature. Because it was uh well, would that be coming up seven coming up on seven years ago. Um but I think going through this, I yeah, I realized I had not processed any of my uh kind of the way I was feeling throughout that time I just moved on essentially almost like drawn a line in the sand and stepped past it but as we know with traumatic things you can draw a line in the sand you can push it out but it's still there uh so yeah that is what exactly what bubbled up was just like wow I never I never processed this so Mm. what were some of the feelings that came out Um, Well, as you know, being my friend a few weeks ago, I really, I was in a really, or probably a month ago, I was in a bad spot, just mentally, emotionally, I think um, it drained me, um, uh, going through all of the, uh, having these experts, which is, you mentioned the videos of three to five minutes, I basically collected up, I've had tens of thousands of emails and messages and direct messages and all kinds of things from people at this point, I basically combed through and organized the most common ones of questions literally word for word the people had said me so for one example is my weight is normal surely it can't be red s or the other versions would be my weight is normal surely i can't have amenorrhea my weight is normal surely that can't be why my period is not there um and so for processing it was um all those years i was convinced I was the quote-unquote bigger one um and it wasn't about my weight it wasn't about food I just was unlucky with my body and so I think realizing that all those years I had been kind of uh uh 
I guess, lying to myself and convincing myself that that wasn't the case. But hearing the experts say it to me, because it was to me, even though we were doing it for other people, was actually like them giving me a therapy appointment for that little girl, that inner child inside or that mid-20s girl inside that was trying to pretend that it wasn't it wasn't my weight or my food or my um relationship to the way that I looked is there also a bit of feeling like there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. and processing of that you know, I think yeah. I've had some conversations with athletes about this and one of the things that seems to come up is this feeling that there's something wrong with me that this means I've done something wrong or I'm mm. a bad person or not good at managing my own body mm. when this is something and we'll get into what it is but, but this is something that can happen to anyone and it doesn't define you it doesn't mean something's wrong with you yeah absolutely there was many many ways that that took effect i mean uh, i think most people who find themselves in this situation there's some version of uh not good enough wanting to always be whatever level of success you get whatever performance you get it's always like okay done that right next i need to do this uh so there's an element of that but then i also find that um it was me being very aware when I was around other runners of how much they were eating and thinking, well, I'm eating more than they are. So why are they getting their period? And I'm not like, why is my body being so like dumb, even though actually my body was being very smart because it was, you know, giving me the indicator that something was off. Uh, But I would see it as like a, a personal of like, yeah, my body is, is, is the dumb one that gets panicked, even though that person next to me, which obviously is an issue of an, in itself, the comparison. Um, but yeah, it felt like other people around me, I was like, you should be the one who doesn't have your period, not me, even though, you know, this is one meal out of the whole day. You don't know what the rest of their day looks like. Uh, so yeah, many different ways that came up. Okay, so let's get to it. What is Red S? <laughs> yeah. find that before we get too far into the yes. conversation. So you said it's relative energy deficiency in sport, which that phrasing makes it sound like it is skinny elite runners who deal with this. But actually, Red S affects anyone regardless of size, weight, miles run per week, um, speed, uh, you know, pace, performance, any of those factors and gender too. Uh, Red S affects um, all genders equally. And it basically means what it sounds like it does which is that you're not taking in enough fuel for your body to function with all the physical activity or um life activities that you are completing so with runners that's typically we're just not fueling enough for the amount that we're running plus the life stuff um And it means that your body is kind of starting to shut down some of the systems it feels are less important to make sure that the most important uh, systems continue to work. So the systems it may begin to shut down are, yes, the reproductive system. So in women, that's going to be, you know, I can't say that word. Losing. How do you say it? Secession. Secession. That sounds... I feel like this is that word now that I've tried it too much. Now it can't, it sounds weird. I'm going to say losing (laughs) your cycle uh, menstruation stops for males. That might be testosterone is really low. It is also going to mean your extremities, your fingers and toes get really cold. You might, as I did say, I've got Raynaud's. That's why I, that's why my fingers and toes were always cold. And my family has a history of Raynaud's. But now my body is healthy. I don't have cold fingers and toes all the time. So I know it was that. Um, And so it will start shutting off other areas of your body to basically protect and preserve the key ones, which are, you know, in the core of our body. Um, And uh, and yeah, it just means not having enough fuel for all that we are asking, regardless of how much we are actually doing. So you mentioned reproductive health is something that's a struggle, body temperature regulation. What are some of the other symptoms somebody might see with red S? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it generally, this is not a symptom, but it generally is tied to someone who is quite type A, quite driv- self-driven, uh, may struggle with insomnia. Like that was actually the the piece of this that kind of broke me in the end was the insomnia. I could run a 24 mile run and then not be able to sleep that night. Um, so that is another key point. Digestive issues is another one. And again, that's your body is shutting down saying this is less important just like it does in a run. Uh, and people, yeah, tend to have digestive issues a lot of the time. Uh, a low libido is another one. And, um, and just, yeah, feelings of anxiety or kind of being on edge, um, because you, you are, you're, brain is not getting enough fuel and it is just in a state of kind of panic um because it's trying to figure out where am I going to get my next food supply from because it doesn't realize that we're surrounded by food we're just not choosing to have it um so yeah those are some of the big ones basically your body goes into a flight or fight mm-hmm. mode it's, it's it's kicking in your survival instincts and you're not getting it's not getting the fuel it doesn't know why it thinks that Resources are limited, so it's starting to shut down functions in order to survive and sort in order to maintain the core of life. It, did you also experience performance-related challenges? Did it affect your running? Yeah, I absolutely did. But that is obviously a hard one to put your finger on. Um, I continued to improve throughout my running career till the very end when I quit. Um, but I, so I will never know, but I can confidently say I would have run better had I been correctly fueled. I know that for, for sure. Uh, and, but I will say I was pretty good at making sure in the time before a run, I was very fueled up. Like I wasn't someone who had half a, you know, a few bites of oatmeal and then tried to do a long run. Like I was very good at making sure I got my fueling. Uh, it was just pr- more so the after that I wasn't as good at. So there would have been muscle repair that didn't happen because of it, which would have affected my performance. So slower recovery. Um, I did towards the end of my running career, uh, try the kind of, uh, high fat, high protein, low ish carbs. I definitely think it would be considered low carb for a runner, but maybe not for a regular person who doesn't run. Um, and that was great for a while but then it hit me hard and I suddenly felt exhausted and I think that was just more of an extreme version of Red S because now I was cutting out carbs which (laughs) uh, or reducing carbs which makes it difficult in any way you look at it to get enough calories yeah the macronutrient balance wasn't there One of the tricky parts about performance with Red S is that oftentimes, as you said, you might think you're doing well enough, or oftentimes people see improvement, dramatic improvement perhaps, even before they start to become more affected by the symptoms or Mm -hmm. before performance is affected. So to speak to that in terms of how it can play out that way. Yeah. And I think that's where I maybe was on the end of things where my... I will say my family definitely has like a, if there's such a thing, like a survivor gene, like my mum's side of the family are like just indestructible. Um, And so I do think I have a piece of that in that my body was able to handle maybe more than, I didn't get many injuries, which is very rare for someone who has red S, definitely didn't get bone injuries. And that's another symptom, I suppose, if we want to call it that is, is injuries, particularly for moral sacral and any kind of hip stress fractures those are bright red flags that red s is either uh, present or like on the edge of it um so yeah a lot of people will end up improving as you said quite drastically and then hitting a point where they get yeah a femoral stress fracture and then they're returning to running and they get a, a pelvic stress fracture um so, or just lots of little, you know, Achilles tendon and then patella, patella issues, or that's not called tendon, it's tendinopathy, isn't it? Um, and then they might have like a knee issue, all kinds of little things that keep appearing. Um, also same with getting sick easily, um, overtraining easily, all of those things, your body just becomes more susceptible to breakdowns. And so 
someone might say, oh, I'm just having a period of bad luck or, oh, I, I just need to get through this patch. But it's actually your body is saying like, look, I've tried to function on this, but I can't do it. Um, and that's where we really need to get to a point of saying, okay, something is off here. And I want to add at this point that when people recognize this, they sometimes panic and think, I don't want to, I don't want to gain weight. Like we're very much told that faster, skinnier equals faster, that you need to look a certain way to run fast. And often it's not actually that much different to, to what, you know, you currently are at. Um, but it just is, sometimes it can even be a deficit of like 300 calories a day, which is a, you know, a, a solid granola bar, uh, or some kind of, you know, um, yeah, some kind of bar. A bowl of oatmeal. Yeah. A bowl of oatmeal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's not like a ton. Um, but I think that's the hardest thing for people to reconcile is that we are told that you need to look like this. And uh even though it sounds simple of like just making a few tweaks, the mental side of it can almost be harder to untangle yourself from. I think it's also important to note that oftentimes this can happen very inadvertently. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to do the right things. I mean, I've I've heard of people tracking calories in order to try to get enough and yet they still fell short not realizing the full amount that they needed. When you were going through this, did you even have the language to use? Cuz red s is a relatively new mm-hmm. terminology around this. So mm-hmm. we've also heard or in the past, people have talked about the female athlete yep. triad. That's another yep. way this has been spoken about. But it's it's pretty new, this terminology and awareness of how all these factors contribute. So how did you navigate that and what language was used at the time and how did you sort through this on your own? I think there wasn't any language. And that's, again, primarily why I made this was because I, well, it is coming around now. It's still something that is new and it is again talked in the context of elite athletes running 90 miles a week which I was but um it also affects the yeah I've had as I said tens of thousands of people reach out from every uh area of the running world so it's not just affecting elite athletes um and so I think we need to bring it into more of a into more of a general conversation um but yeah, I didn't have any language. I mean, I would go to doctor after doctor and they would say, we'll just stop running. And I'd say, well, that's not, that's not something I can do. Like first I'm, a, I'm on scholarship over here in the US. And then it was like, I'm a professional athlete. That's my job. And they'd say, okay, well, whenever you're ready, that's what you have to do. And that was like end of conversation. So there wasn't any language, female athlete triad, that conversation was happening. But again, with that, that, obviously doesn't encompass so many people we know now that Red S does, but it also was one of the triad pieces was injuries and I wasn't getting injured. So I felt like that didn't apply to me um, because I wasn't getting injured. Um, But I didn't have any kind of language. It was literally, I remember there was this um, group on Facebook that was 50 or so elite athletes having a conversation about birth control. Um, and a lot of the big names we see now, um, doing really well were in that group, although in their early days when they would like kind of very much in with everyone else. Um, and, uh, that was the only thing I ever had that was kind of any, putting any language to it. But even that was me sheepishly having watched this conversation about birth control being like, so, um, if someone say were to not have a period like <laughs> I because I wasn't even comfortable saying it and uh and immediately people jumped in and said you know that's your calories um and I don't mind saying Kim Smith was one of the people that said that's your calories and I was like no that's not true with me that's not the case um because I didn't have the language I didn't understand what it meant um and at the time um having not having a period was absolutely associated with having an eating disorder and there is a definite stigma around that um and unfortunately that held me back and it still holds people back because that is not that there is anything wrong with having an eating disorder it's not the person is an eating disorder it is that they 
have one but um yeah that was all I really knew of it and um that's exactly why I wanted to make this which that is that topic is tied up into some of the mythology about red s you can have an eating disorder and get red s you can also have disordered eating and get red s you could also not have either of those things and get red s so there's a lot of different ways to get there so let's talk a little bit about some of the mythology around this topic you've mentioned some things already about you know any any gender can get red s you can have a perception that you're eating enough this can happen to any body shape or form mm. So what are some of those other myths that people might carry with this? Yeah, I think one of the biggest one, and this is the video that I think people seem to be relating to the most is as runners, we eat a lot and, you know, we are around people in our lives, family, friends who don't run. And so to them, we look like we are absolutely eating all the time, eating mountains of food because uh, they are eating, they are just not burning the calories that we are. And so I think in our heads, because we see what other people are eating, we think I am eating so much food. So it cannot possibly be that. But we forget that um, because of the running, that does require so many more calories, especially if you're doing something like marathon training, where you're running for hours on end and sometimes hard. Uh, it can be hard to to get it in. And you hear these runners, like when Mike Wardian uh, ran across the US, I ran two days with him. And he was saying that was one of the hardest things was getting enough calories in because you get to a point where you're fed up of eating. And um, and so I think that's one of the biggest myths is I I eat a lot. So it can't be it can't be that. Um, I think, yeah, another myth is, is, as you said, the gender is a is a big one it's like this is a women's thing which it absolutely is not um trying to think of what other ones there would be um the the skinny skinny elite woman is is another big one and um i think hmm. the idea that you don't have to be elite is is another important one i mean this can happen to the everyday athlete who's training for a marathon who's just trying to improve their personal best or maybe even finish their first marathon it's something that can happen to all level of a runner for sure and even just in terms of life um so let's say you are a runner but you're also moving house or getting a divorce or in early stages of having a baby especially if you are breastfeeding it 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 can also affect people because it is just about a deficiency in calories. It's not, um, it doesn't have to be when you are at your max training. It can just be that life has a lot going on and your body is trying to protect you uh, with a combination of stressful factors um, combined with, yeah, especially maybe in early parenting, you might be so busy frantically running around after after you know doing everything for your baby that you forget to eat and i always used to remember hearing people say about forgetting to eat and thinking how does someone forget to eat i just don't believe that and that was partly because i was thinking about food all the time so in my head it was like why would you forget but also that's true <laughs> with with sometimes in life we do have that that stage where we you know might forget to eat skip skip a meal inadvertently and then get to the evening and try and make up something but we just can't get enough we haven't taken in enough throughout the day and so then the next day we're really hungry but we're like why am i so hungry today what is what is what is going on here but it's actually from yes the day before where we have a deficit so um yeah yeah we're rushing from one thing to the next i mean i coach a 5 30 a.m group here on Wednesday mornings in Austin. And I think about the people that are going from a hard workout to work and rushing to get there and maybe not taking the time to properly Mm -hmm. refuel after that effort. Mm -hmm. And maybe they grab a bar or something, but very inadequate relative to the output that they just put out. And again, all under the guise of, hey, just trying to be efficient and move mm-hmm. through life in a, in a way that makes sense for me and get everything in, but inadvertently perhaps taking in not enough for the body to rebuild itself after that yeah. hard effort. Okay. I want to drill into the male-female f- side of this. 
obviously it can affect both genders or anyone who identifies, you know, as non-binary, what, how might it manifest differently in different people? Yeah. So some of the symptoms there are, um, they are, they are kind of good to go across the board. Like I mentioned, digestive issues, that is something that runners can easily put down to, well, I'm just a runner and my body, my metabolism is working fast or something. But if that is happening regularly, if you are, you know, people often lean it on IBS or something like that, um, or, you know, my stomach's just upset at the moment. Um, that is definitely one that can affect anyone as is kind of the the very driven anxiety, I got to be the best, I got to do everything right uh, kind of kind of person. But yeah, um, low testosterone is definitely the the symptom that comes through for uh, for people who identify as male, but it's maybe not something that you're going to notice, but it it is just feeling maybe low on energy. Um, as I said, like a low libido, but um, that's another one. And it's just, just a, um, like a fatigue, which again is an easy symptom for runners to be like, well, I'm just running a lot, so I'm tired. Um, but it is just a version of that, like feel it in your bones, just sluggishness and struggle to, um, you know, maybe do simple tasks or feeling like you have, you want, just want to lie down or you need extra coffees, which is where we get ourselves into trouble because people then just drink more coffee to wake themselves up. So it's just uh, a lot of feelings of fatigue there. And, and, and on the female side of things, it, it doesn't even, um, some, some people actually do have a period or they might have a one day cycle or they may have something every 40 to 60 days which is still not really enough um or even maybe seeing that that days between increase so maybe you were like solidly at 30 day uh 30 day cycle and then it's going up to 32 34 38 that is your body saying hey i'm uh I'm starting to 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 struggle here. Um and okay there is the group of women who are maybe starting to go through menopause and that kind of can mess with them but for the most part um it it is a good indicator. Um But yeah, I mean I think really the testosterone um and menstruation are really the only differences between the two. Um the other the other symptoms can can definitely affect everyone and uh it's just unfortunate that they're things that we can easily write off. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, I see these tweets occasionally on well, Twitter and where <laughs> somebody might say, well, if you're, if you're not falling asleep in your cereal bowl, you know, you're not doing marathon training, right? And as a coach, I wholeheartedly reject that yeah. approach because sure, you know, we can be tired. We could have a bad workout here and there, but it's that, ongoing lingering fatigue where you can't perform basic functions that is a sign that something's not right could be red s could be overtraining syndrome it could be Mm -hmm. something else that's saying hey you need to actually rebalance your recovery your stress and recovery cycle in order to actually get the most out of your body but those are red flags yeah yeah And, and irritability with that as well like a inability to tolerate small things that people do um that frustrate you there's definitely a kind of everyone else is doing this life thing wrong um because you're just on edge and just exhausted so you don't have the energy to to process let's talk about diagnosis Mm. you you were in a situation where you were having to figure it out on your own you said you went to multiple doctors and they told you to stop running not the answer any runner wants to hear. So if someone is suspicious that maybe this is something they're facing, how do they get diagnosed? Yeah, the the best thing to, I mean, you have to go through your general practitioner probably who is pro- probably still going to give you the same answer that mine gave of like, <laughs> we can't really do much unless you want to eat, uh, unless you want to stop running or stop exercising. Uh, if you get someone who doesn't do that, then that's amazing and be uh, eternally grateful for that keep that doctor forever (laughs) um uh for 
for women, definitely speaking to an OBGYN, especially um, if periods are missing and they've been missing for a while, or even people have who have never had um, primary amenorrhea, um, never had a period, um, they are just going to make sure that everything is okay internally. Um, I did go through all those tests just to make sure. Um, but if it is someone who, you know, knows you have, you, you have had a functioning cycle in the past and you know, deep down, cause that's the thing to everyone listening, you know, deep down is if this is affecting you, you can go get a diagnosis, but what Chris and I have been talking about here, you'll feel it in your gut. Like I know you feel it right now. So if you suspect it, you're probably right. But if you actually want to go get that confirmation, an endocrinologist is probably the best person to go see. They're going to be able to really see those hormones and to give you the um, the you know solid evidence that this is going on, that your um, reproductive hormones aren't functioning correctly, um, and, or you're not you don't have enough of them. Um, they'll get to see you know the phases of the cycle and where you're at um, to see because it's kind of more of just a leveling off of everything. There's no ups and downs as there typically is with a cycle. Uh, it's just going to be flatlined. So they will be able to see that. Um, so yeah, I would say to go to an endocrinologist um, if it is possible to go to a dietitian. They will be the one to uh, look at your fueling and and see where things are at. Uh, you can ask around through your running community. Um, I mean, Chris, I'm sure you have someone in Austin who is a, a solid dietitian who understands runners. Um, but there's also resources online and I can pass a few of those through to you to um, get acquainted with a dietitian who is um, an expert in this area. And they in themselves, while not a scientific diagnosis, will be able to say like, hey, this isn't quite matching up. And one last thing I want to mention, just because this was me, be honest with them. Uh, I saw quite a few different people who looked at my diet over the years and I would intentionally or unintentionally, however you want to put it, put forward a day that looked good because it's hard. I'm a people pleaser, a recovering yeah. people pleaser. Uh, so be honest with them. Don't show them a day where you did really well. Be honest because you're only hurting yourself. Right. Yeah. In the videos you talk about assembling a recovery team of mm. sorts because it may may mean more than one resource needed to help you work through this mm-hmm. likely a doctor involved likely a dietitian potentially a therapist mm-hmm. to help you work through some of the mental challenges how should, how does somebody know who they need on their team mm. um well first thing i want to say with the therapist that um a lot of the time with this, yes, as you said, sometimes it can be inadvertent and it is truly driven by performance of, I really want to give it my all to my running. So I'm just doing this in terms of performance. And sometimes that's still the case with what I'm about to say, but with most of us, it is not actually about the running or about the food. It's about something inside of us that we haven't addressed. Like I mentioned in the beginning about not enoughness or like once I was the hedonic treadmill, is that the term? Like once I reach this thing, then I'll be happy. Once I run this time, then I'll be happy. So until we address that, even if you are able to get your fueling correct, it will probably find its way out somewhere else. Um, but in terms of finding a team for you, I would say, again, if anything I've said today speaks to you in terms of um, the way that you look or seeing pictures of yourself and feeling that kind of like, Ugh, like you don't like what you see, that almost certainly will require um, a dietitian and therapist com- combination, the dietitian to really give you the, make it clear to you just how much or make it clear the work that you need to do. Um, And that was really the case for me with Nancy, who's one of the experts we used. As I said, I've spoken to many uh, nutritional experts over the year, but Nancy, the way she put it to me, finally made it, as my grandma used to say, like the penny drop, the realization of, oh, wow, yeah, I'm actually not doing this right. Um, So that is a huge piece of this. And then the therapist, but... um, Beyond that, it's just those are the first two and the most critical two, I would say. Um, It's also going to be looking at what you already have. So do you have people who are 
supportive and loving and encouraging of um, you being yourself surrounding you? Or do you have people who um, you've grown up with who constantly make comments about the way that they look or even like, oh, you're having another portion of food? If you have those people around you, you're probably going to either need to seek uh, friends who ca- who do understand you and who don't say things like that or additional counsel from um, some kind of professional to work through all of those little comments that have been made throughout your life. Um, and so it's finding the people around you who you feel safe to talk to, uh, talk through those those fears you have and those feelings that you're experiencing. Yeah, because we're we're talking about deeply embedded mm. thought processes in, in these situations. And I think oftentimes people think that therapy, going to therapy equals weakness. And really mm. all of us, you know, likely need it in some yeah. form. And so it's going to to somebody that can help you disrupt some of those deeply rooted things. I mean, I think about it in the context of I've had conversations with athletes that would say, well, my race weight is X. And they have this very rigid mm. perspective on how much they should weigh in order to perform. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe that's the right number for your body. I don't I don't know. But most of the time there are likely deeply embedded thoughts and beliefs about your body and how it looks that is getting you to hold on to that number. Mm-hmm. And so we need help to break those thought patterns. Yeah, absolutely. And especially race weight is an especially dangerous one. I remember asking, talking to Ryan Hall about this years ago. um, And he was saying, my race weight is this, like, it was like, it wasn't, I want to say it was like 137 pounds or something. And and we know Ryan Hall is no, I mean, now he's kind of gone the other (laughs) direction, but he's not like a tiny person. And so, um, he was talking about that but then he was like talking and I said to him at the time like a was that like good for you to be so obsessed with a number that ends in a seven like how easy that could fluctuate to be away to be an eight or a six um and and recently he's been talking about how damaging that was for him to be so caught up in what that number was that he lost performance in that and um and while we're told about race weight and um and that being a key factor i don't think the mental damage that does on us is worth the plus or minus 5 pounds let's say that um being your quote unquote ideal race weight is worth um and i do agree that's something that people very much lean on for performance but yeah i have to ask how much of your mental energy that you could be spending on yeah challenging yourself in in a healthy way or um or other parts of life are you wasting on just a number that could be changed simply by eating chia seeds that cause you to retain water you know yeah or drink yeah or just drinking <laughs> a glass of water yeah which you need to hydrate mm-hmm. so we going back to the support system for a moment we'd have mentioned coaches i think that's an important part of the equation mm-hmm. engaging your coach mm-hmm. in this conversation if you have one and your family and other support system as well in your situation your coach was also your husband mm-hmm. steve so how did that conversation play out with him how did he play a role in helping you recover yeah he i mean he is very much of the food as fuel um, approach to life. And so for him, in many ways, it was very difficult to understand what I was saying here and all the like ways I was tying myself up in knots about, um, about this stuff. And actually even yesterday we were getting bagels and someone in front of us was asking about the, the weight of a bagel. And he was like, why would you need to know that? And I was <laughs> like, well, cause of a calorie counter, like that's why. Um, yeah. but he just doesn't think about that stuff. But it was important to talk to him about that because a it helps him to get to to be a better coach um to recognize you know patterns but also um it is something that i mean there's we're only beginning to scratch the surface particularly for women in terms of how your menstrual cycle can affect your training how you can get the most out of your training looking at your um you know the the phases of your cycle what foods you need you should be 
leaning on during various phases of the cycle. So in, engaging your coach in that is is going to not only help educate them, but also help them understand you. It's going to help them give suggestions to you. Um, and it is also this is also a person that you trust, right? You or you should. Uh, if you trust them to put all this energy and time that you are spending on your performance, you should be able to trust them enough to have this conversation about something as critical to your body as anything else and also affects 50% of the population. Um, and so you're helping to change the culture around um, this being a taboo topic. So we all have a role to play here. Yeah, it's not just taboo, but there's also just so much misinformation. Mm-hmm. I think that made me think about Christine Yu's book that's coming out. You can mm-hmm. pre-order it now mm-hmm. called Up to Speed. It's about the science really of good. women in performance and sport. And she has a chapter called Period Power. And mm-hmm. there's so much bad information out there or misconceptions out there about the relationship between your period and performance to the extent that in parts of the running world, people might say it's better not to have your period, but the period represents hormonal balance that actually will help you perform if you have it functioning in the right way. So it's it's so critical to make sure you have, you're working with somebody that understands that and that you obviously also understand that yourself. And that's where I hope people listening to this, if you if your coach, if you're not comfortable talking to your coach, just send them to that YouTube channel and they can learn about it on their own. And then maybe they can come to you. And and Chris, you can probably attest to this that like, as this has been a topic that hasn't been discussed, as you are a male, like I bet you felt quite uncomfortable at the beginning having this conversation because it just isn't something that we've been told should be discussed. But over time, as you continue to do so, it it's like, well, wh- why why did I feel weird about this? Because it's such a normal human function. Um, but maybe by sending the the playlist to them, they can learn about it, and then maybe maybe a little awkward conversation at first can go through. But then you can both work together moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the way the body works, mm-hmm. and so it it's never been that uncomfortable for me because I talk to people about a lot of things that can be uncomfortable (laughs) but i do sense that lack of comfort oftentimes in the athlete who's thinking well i shouldn't this is something i'm not supposed to talk to people about and you Mm -hmm. sense that hesitation usually for me i'm just very open and Mm -hmm. and not pushy about it it's like all right you know we can have these conversations but i'm gonna let you develop that comfort and then come to me as you're as you're comfortable but that's an aside. Let's talk about recovery. Mm-hmm. How do you work through this? Obviously, you want to assemble your team to help provide guidance, but I've had people ask me simple questions such as, well, how do I know how much to eat mm-hmm. if I haven't been getting that right? Yeah. And um, we have created a, a private community that does answer all of those questions. Um, so if someone is interested in that, I can definitely send that along. We haven't really been pushing that yet because I really just want to get the education piece, but it is there. It's ready. Um, however, uh, again, dietitian is definitely the way to go. And I, and I understand that seeing a dietitian can be a, an expense that you have to pay for yourself. Um, but often this is not like a, you know, it's not like a therapist that you're going to need on an ongoing basis. You maybe need, you know, I don't know, two to eight sessions with them to work through some things so it it isn't uh, a forever expense but that that will help to yeah really understand your body and what it needs and each dietitian will have their own approach to this um but they also will be able to teach like kind of we talked about unlearning or, or breaking those patterns that we've had since childhood they'll be able to help you see those um see those like right in front of you and give you a different workaround um and then in terms of i want to just mention at this point that yes i stopped running but i no longer believe that is what you have to do to get um to to get through red s i do think and actually there's a lot of research coming out now that i think i was a bit of a rare case in that way but um it's actually can be more damaging to athletes to just stop doing everything 
exercise wise and focus on uh you know getting their body functioning again because then you're just obsessing about it and you're hit being hit twice so there's actually studies coming out now that are finding that it is better to have some you know maybe not 60 70 80 miles a week but some some exercise in there while people are in their recovery but I also think it is possible as I said it sometimes it can be just a matter of a bowl of oatmeal so try first just adding 300 500 calories to your day somewhere I'd probably lean more for the morning as as many of us tend to you know not do enough throughout the day and then try and catch up at night um, and see if that see if that works because sometimes that is all it needs um, and give that a try first and then if not then work towards the dietitian uh, maybe give that a month or two um, and yeah and then I just you know going on the uncomfortable subject for for women especially like the one of the big indicators you're going to know that something is happening is a change in your cervical fluid so if it's kind of been the same all month every month and it's starting to change throughout the month that's a sign you're on the right track so pay attention to that the flow increases mm-hmm. do you believe that you have to set aside a big goal to work mm-hmm. through this mm-hmm. yeah and this is another question we had a lot and i am um, i can't remember if that one is on the youtube no I, I think that one is on yeah that's on the youtube channel um this multiple variations of this from the experts um i think that you probably are going to find it hard to continue with a goal because if you're already having trouble getting enough in um when you start adding in it depends i guess on your relationship with food but for those of us who and i was definitely there who have a disordered relationship with food that's going to be an extra mental burden on your shoulders knowing that you're kind of going against what um that inner critic is telling you to do and for me at least i found that that inner critic made it difficult to go against the voice that little like siren going off in our heads when we're trying to run hard um saying stop 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 because you're already spending your mental energy on going against the voice saying don't eat that um but i think it is possible uh and i think if someone has a goal and they're right in the middle of training for it now it's worth a try Add, as i said adding in that 500 extra calories a day to see um but then you've got to promise yourself that after this race regardless of what happens you are going to address this before you set up another goal yeah my intuition as a coach tells me that people should pause if they can mm-hmm. take a moment sort this out get the body functioning normal again normally again and then resume that pursuit because Ultimately, you're going to reach your biggest potential if you figure this out. Mm. This is about having healthy mind and body. Mm-hmm. You're going to get further than you would have if you address this in the right way. And giving yourself a little time out to do that, I think mm-hmm. is worth it for the long-term potential that you should see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How long did it take you to work through it? Again, this is where I was a kind of unique case in that I was able to just, I stopped running. I didn't run a step for three months. I didn't exercise. I had acupuncture. I rested. I was able to do all of, and, and I ate a lot. Like I, uh, I don't want to say amounts because, I, you know, again, the number on the scale doesn't matter, but I put on a pretty big um, percentage of my body weight onto my body in a very short period of time whether that was the healthiest way to do it I don't know but um but but it worked um and as I said I was pregnant uh I was pregnant at 10 weeks after I stopped running so for me it came back very quickly my endocrinologist had told me three to six months is what they expected um during the recovery period, I'd say definitely lean on the three to six if you are going to continue running, uh, which is what I would imagine most people will do and is probably the more sustainable way of doing it. 
Um, so yeah, I was on the lower end, but I think that was, I just went a very extreme way of doing this. And then how did you go about establishing a lifestyle? Mm. Because at some point you start, you know, you had kids, you, but you, you've gotten back to running and now mm. that's a part of your life. So how did you go about establishing a lifestyle where you were able to create balance afterwards? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it was, and and this is the, I think an important thing I want to mention first is that we are kind of told that the only reason you need your menstrual cycle is when you want to have babies. And that was very much what I was told by the doctors of like, well, you're not, are you looking to have kids anytime soon? And I'd say no. And they'd say, okay, well, you know, that's kind of what you need. So for someone who is not someone who wants kids or currently wants kids that it can be easy to push this off because you're like, well, that's all I really need it for. Um, but you are going to be a better human, a happier human. You're going to have better relationships coming out of this. So you feel more fulfilled. You'll feel more loved if you do this, regardless of whether you want kids or not. But for me, I was pregnant and I was aware once I found out I was having a daughter, it, that really for me was like, oh, wow. I could easily pass these patterns, these viewpoints, these this focus of on weight, this hiding or squirreling of food onto my daughter. So I don't want that. So I started to do the mental work during that pregnancy time. Um, and I mostly got myself to a good place. I actually found myself a bit swinging the other direction when it came to my second daughter because I suddenly was at the point where we were saying earlier about forgetting to eat. I just didn't, wasn't really interested in eating. And I kept saying, you know, I wish I could just drink a drink at the beginning of the day that was like 3000 calories and then call it good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then I swung the pendulum the other direction and that I was like going from thinking about food obsessively to kind of wishing I didn't need to eat because I just couldn't be bothered to do it. Cause I felt as you know, with young kids, you're like frazzled and just uh, everything like chewing a carrot felt, felt like effort to me when I had a newborn and a two year old, because I was like, this is too much work for <laughs> for the calories I'm getting. Um, and so um, now I'm trying to find a place where um, it is a, of a balance. And um, I think a lot of that is just trusting myself, which is the hardest piece we have. We're taught to use yeah, calorie counters or, um, or, you know, you should be eating this or that or whatever. Um, I try and just trust myself. So if I'm craving some sugar, like if I, I'm like, I need sugar right now, that's my body saying, Hey, you're a bit low on fuel right now. So give me some fuel. And that doesn't mean I don't eat the sugar, but I'm like, okay, I need something else with this because I'm clearly def uh, at a deficit at this point in the day. So listening. Learning to trust that intuition, mm -hmm. which is, which is hard. But once mm -hmm. you start listening, mm -hmm. the cues are there. Yeah, constantly. Absolutely. Okay, so we got to wrap this conversation. What's your final message of hope to those who might be struggling with something like this? I think I would say that the biggest thing, uh, most of you who this is going to speak to are standing at the edge of a cliff and uh, Chris I'll send you this article I wrote in self which when my like story went viral was definitely the piece and still is that speaks to most people you're standing at the edge of the cliff looking wondering whether you want to take this risk or shut this off right now and be like oh I'm just gonna pretend I didn't hear that conversation um do it I know it's terrifying it is going to challenge you in ways you can't imagine. But I promise you coming out the other side, you will feel healthier, happier. And again, your relationships will improve, which is one of the best parts of being a human is our communication connection with other humans. And so um, it's worth it. I promise it's worth it to, to go through this. Thank you, Tina. Thanks for putting together this resource. Amazing. I'll link to all of this in the show notes so that you can get access to it. And just those that are facing this, you've got two and Tina and I that are in your corner. So we will tackle this together. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Loved it.
So there you go. My conversation with Tina Muir on Red S. I will link to all the resources we mentioned in the show notes. So do check it out and do check out regardless of whether or not you suspect you might have Red S. I would encourage you to check out the YouTube channel, watch some of the videos, get educated on this topic. We'll wrap this episode here. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Tina for joining me. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.